Oh, I did end up buying my uh, second, sorry, my third Spiegel IPA glass from uh, Crate and Barrel. I think you were only meant to have one. Yeah, I'll have to be more careful. I don't understand how one of them just keeps surviving the cleaning and the other one can't handle the cleaning. Well, because I start cleaning one and then I break it and I'm like, oh, I oh, should probably be, be, be more, delicate. more careful. And yeah. then, yeah. You need to go into the cleaning with I treat the other one nicer, yeah. Just like I broke a socket glass, too. It's just too rough. Okay, we good to go? <laughs> yeah, I think we're we're good to go. Well, welcome to the 49th or 48th? 49th. Yeah, 49th episode of Beer and Fear. We did 48. Get it together, already. Paige. I'm sorry. I'm sleepy. Yeah, welcome to the 49th episode of Beer and Fear. My name is Paige. My name is Zach. <laughs> this is episode 49, and there's Casoda. Hi, baby. We are... Streaming this, by the way, if you're just listening, we're trying to stream all of our episodes, do video streams. Beerandfearcast.com is uh, where you can go to check out how to do that. Also, just the description of the video. Just read through the description and it tells you how to, if you want to watch these, how you can watch them live or watch them after we've recorded them. But it feels nice to record another episode on the comfy blue couch. <laughs> And um, I'm not inebriated with the shitty cocktail. Not inebriated with a shitty cocktail. Just only two vizies. Yeah, just two vizies. I'll be mm -hmm. fine. I got this. This episode is on Son of Sam. Good on you for remembering to... Uh, Damn straight. Yeah. Remember? Uh, I dropped the ball. Son of Sam is a son that I've never heard of before. Is this a topic you've never heard of? No, I didn't wow. know who this person was. So. Like every topic I bring up you've never heard before. It's a safe bet, yeah, that if it's a page episode, I will have no um, prior knowledge of it. Yeah, I accurate. It's part of the fun, going into this. And, I'm just giving you new information, new yeah. stuff to learn about. Tell me about your week, bud. <clears throat> My week was all right. What did I do? Um, I finished training. I'm all done training for now. It's nice. And I start my vacation soon. I'll be on vacation next week. Next Wednesday is when it starts. So when this comes out, the day this comes out, I will officially have started my vacation. And um, my week otherwise was pretty boring. I worked. What did I do yesterday? Not a whole lot. Today I went golfing. Went. I played my first round of 18. And I sucked. <laughs> uh, real bad. It was, it was horrible. Um, I think over the course of the day I regressed more and more. Um, I was giving myself one good shot every hole. As long as I had one decent shot every hole... I was content. I can move on with my day. Uh, but some of these, it was just... What was your worst hole? Oof. Well, that's a creepy sentence. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what my worst hole is. Oh, come on. Um, I think, I don't know, I shot like a 12 on one, one of my holes. Yeah, it's bad. I can. Uh, it doesn't work out sometimes. I remember um, I teed off on one of the last holes, and I almost hit a car... Because one of the last holes runs alongside a street, a main road. And um, I watched my ball 
fly off to the left, just uh, sliced it to the left, over the fence and the trees. Wow. And I'm pretty sure it landed in the road. And I was watching a car drive by it was, as it was happening, and I was just cringing the whole time. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine if that hit their windshield or some shit? They'd swerve. <laughs> that would have caused an accident. Oh, goddamn. Yeah, they should, uh, they should have more buffer there. The, between the road and the, the course or the oh, hole. Maybe but, they just assumed somebody wouldn't hit that bad. Yeah, maybe they they expect experienced players, <laughs> right? We did shoot with a couple other people. We were in the same time slot because it was me and my dad, and then there was another. Um, it was a, a pair of 80-year-olds. Oh. I think they were married. It was husband and wife, and they were like 82 and like 83, and they were all golfing, and they were like killing it. And it made me look... Made me look bad, but you're a beginner. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it was fun. I had a lot of fun. It was a great time. First time shooting 18, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I got sunburned pretty bad. I, you probably can't tell. I cannot. Um, did you put on sunscreen? I did not. But yeah, sunburn here, uh, my neck, back of my neck. Oh, the neck is. Back of my legs, they're a little red. Mm-hmm. Tomato boy. So, yep. Got some sun. What else? You told me you were going to oh, tell me. I lost my keys. You're also going to tell me about streaming. Yeah, that's the other thing. I lost my keys. I noticed as we were grabbing a beer afterwards, go to my keys here, and I only see just the silver one here. And I'm like, oh. How that's... did those other two fall off? I was doing a lot of jogging because I was uh, hitting my balls um, kind of the sides of the fairway in the rough. And... Um, that's how I know they're never going to be found because no one's going to be walking in the fairway because they're experienced golf players and they're going to be shooting the balls into the, uh, you know, onto the green. So I, I was running after a lot of my, my balls trying to retrieve them and get them back onto the fairway. And I, I don't know. I think I was just running some kind of way and um, just this keychain popped it off. jangled them right off. Yep. And that's never happened before. Um, I know I lost my work keys before when I was working at Guitar Center. That happened a few times. It was usually because I would sit down and then they'd be in my car after I was freaking out trying to find them. Um, so I got some new ones. They didn't charge. Oh, that's nice. They didn't charge at all for new keys. I was very surprised. So I'm glad I was able to get home. And then the last thing, uh, yeah, I played um, yesterday and the day before. I was playing some 35mm was the game I was playing. Uh, it's a it's an indie game created by a uh, Russian developer, so the entire base game's in Russian. All the voices are in Russian. It takes I think takes place in Russia, and then there's English subtitles and things like that. It's kind of like a walking simulator game, and it's very story rich. Um, and I like games like that. It was short, and I finished it in three Twitch streams that were about an hour, hour and a half. So you can watch those at uh, uh, twitch.tv slash beer and fear cast. Uh, watch me play 35 millimeter. It's three videos. It's about an hour. It was a fun game. I liked it. Some criticisms about it, but uh, it was cool. And I'm glad I finally finished a freaking game in my Steam library. Very proud of that you. never happens. But It really doesn't. You have a lot of games in your Steam library. Yeah, and I hope to be playing more. So that was fun. We'll, we'll play more games soon. That's all I got. How about you? Um, I ain't got shit. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> I saw my parents. That was nice. Fun. When we had dinner. My dad made steaks. Yeah, you're missing out. He's good cooking. What do you uh, order yours rare? You call your steaks? Always. He made a... He, he was like... Um, 
I don't know if it's rare enough for you. <laughs> I put it on the grill for five seconds. Tell me if this... Uh... I'm like, it's not, it's not mooing. <laughs> Unfortunately, the heart's not still beating. That was pretty rare. I can't do that. I can't have a steak where it's just seared on the outside and that's it. It needs to be cooked a little bit. Oh, my God. On the inside. Just a just a. The blood smidge. makes a difference. Just a smidge. I like medium rare. Don't get me wrong. I will not order a steak any more than medium ever. No, rare is where life. it's at. Mm. And if you're mm. ordering your steak well done, then there's no place for you in this world. And uh, maybe you should rethink your... Uh... <laughs> Such an aggressive standpoint. <laughs> this is the hill I will die on. If you uh-huh. get well done steaks, you're mm-hmm. a piece of shit. I didn't say that. <laughs> Felt like it. Okay. I don't really have anything to report. Um, nothing that I want to talk about. Nothing worthwhile. Okay. I still have not finished unpacking my room. There's like six boxes left. One, two, five boxes left, and I have to unpack them. Oh my gosh. I need shelves. I need to get stuff that I can put like things up on the wall with, so I have yeah. more space for like storing stuff. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of space to store things. In I'm your just gonna have to go bedroom. vertical now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Horizontal steak. It's time to go vertical. Um, I think that's really it. Let's get into the beer. I guess. Our beer is from Maplewood Brew. We've done them. Have we? Yeah, I think what twice we now. Who we do? Uh, we had the um, the uh, brunch punch was from Maplewood uh, that you didn't like. Brunch punch, fruit punch. No, it was from Maplewood. Strawberry. And I think I thought there was one more. Maybe that had been that was the first one. Yeah. Well, I guess I won't go into them. Then. <laughs> Never fucking mind. My you can mind. talk a little bit about them if you want. I'm just business. saying we've done them before. Our beer is called Son of Shaky. Son of Shaky? Son of Shaky. S-H-A-K-E-Y? Yeah. Okay. It is a milkshake IPA. Oh, I've heard of these. Never had one. 6.5 ABV. The taste profile is brewed with wheat, oats, and lactose for that thick and creamy <laughs> body you've come to expect from the shaky surname. The tropical fruit and citrus notes mingle perfectly with the sweet flavors of vanilla, transporting you right back to those ice cream shop days, spelled with a Z. D-A-Y-Z. Hops are Mosaic, Mosaic Cryo, and El Dorado. Have we had El Dorado hops? Yes. Okay. It says, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm not going to include it. Okay. Not, not worried about it. It has a score on Beer Advocate. 92. Outstanding. Ooh, okay. Beer Advocate calls it an IPA New England. Uh, its score is, like I said, 92. It's ranked 10,024 for overall. And style, it's ranked 1,390. So That's not bad. not bad. That's actually pretty damn good. A pretty solid score. I'm adding this to our beer list. Okay. Is that it? Yeah, it's a... Oh, my gosh. I'm going to go grab it. So when you clean these glasses, two. you're not going to break it. Count two glasses. So proud of you for counting. Those are the same two glasses as before. I did not break another one. Yeah, he didn't break another one. He swears. Looks like a planet wearing a bow tie. I love their cans. Remember, I, I think I was, showing, I was showing you a few of them when we had uh, Brunch Punch. I was on their website. And their cans, like, I like the artwork. Uh, what is that? Oh, that's like vanilla, right? Huh? I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah. It's got milkshakes on the side of it. Ooh. 
That's very vanilla. Oh, yeah. It smells like ice cream. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a cream soda. Oh, it smells so good. I I, I just want to keep smelling it. It kind of smells a little creamsicly, mm-hmm. like creamy. That's you what know? I said. It sounds like cream, like cream soda. It smells like cream soda. Oh yeah, 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 cream soda. But there's like a little more to it. It's it's vanilla y cream soda. Yeah. Well, they said there was also fruit flavors to it, so it would be like a dreamsicle. Yeah, I smell orange also. Maybe pineapple. I'm interested in trying this, so we need to clink. Whoa. Wow. Okay. Mm. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty good. How is this a beer? How did they do this? I don't know. I mean, I feel like the vanilla is strong in smell, but in taste it's subtle in a way that kind of mixes with the hops well. I don't know. I'm getting a lot. What? There's something else, though. That, like, something I've... It's, yeah, sugar. There's lactose in it. Yeah, it just tastes like sugary vanilla cream soda. I still get the hops pretty prominently. Do you not get the hops? For me, those are in the back. It's like this is just maybe in the finish. As soon as I swallow, it's just hops. Yeah, no, I don't know. It is smooth, though. A little bit of a tingle on the tongue, but, you know, that's that's beer. Yeah, medium to low carbonation foam uh lacing is there stumps. foam yeah stump stumps the uh head sticks out two millimeter head you know oh the burp is just vanilla yeah i just i don't know i get orange pineapple sugary vanilla cream soda is how i would describe this and then hardly i don't know for me hardly any bitterness from the hops um I don't, I'm not really detecting any malt from this either. It's just very sweet. Incredibly sweet. Very light colored as well. Yep. Very light. It's. I think it's lighter than other or most New England IPAs we've had. Yeah. The can. Yeah, the can just says a vanilla milkshake IPA. It doesn't make any mention of New England style IPA or hazy IPA. We've discussed before on other episodes a lot of that is marketing. But this is... Phenomenal. Ale brewed with vanilla plus lactose. I'm all about it. I thought you might be. This is damn good. What would this uh, pair with, you think? Well, if it's a lactose and it's a milkshake, I'd probably pair it with dessert. I was thinking like a steak or some chicken. I don't know. Like the sweetness to offset like the meatiness? Yeah. <laughs> meatiness. Offset my meatiness with your sweetness. <laughs> Ladies, have Whoa. I told you about my meatiness? What's up? Give me that sweetness. Instead of girthiness. <laughs> Son of Sam is our topic, like Paige said. Yeah. Here we go. Ready? You sound so enthusiastic. All right. You're like the email kid at the dinner table at let's Thanksgiving. Let's begin. Mom, it's not a phase. David Richard Berkowitz, Berkowitz is an American serial killer who went by the names Son of Sam and 44 Caliber Killer. I hope you talk about why he got those names. Because I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't read anything else. His span of crimes began on July 29, 1976 and ended July 31, 1977. 
He pled guilty to eight shootings that took place in New York. David Berkowitz was born Richard David Falco. Dumb name. On June 1st, 1953 in Brooklyn, New York. His mother, Elizabeth Betty Broder, grew up as part of an impoverished... Impoverished? Impoverished? Yeah. Jewish <laughs> family and was a waitress. She married Tony Falco, an Italian-American, in 1936. After a marriage of less than four years, Tony Falco left her for another woman. <gasps> That bastard. In 1950, Broder started, so Betty, started a relationship with a married man named Joseph Kleinemann. Three years later, she became pregnant with a child whom she named Richard David Falco. Within a few days of Richard's birth, Broder gave the child away. Although her reasons for doing so are unknown, writers have surmised that Kleinemann threatened to abandon her if she kept the baby and used his name. So I think Kleinemann, this married man that Betty uh, had a child with, didn't like the fact that she named, uh, gave him the the last name of Falco because it was her. Um, well, he's a bastard. Yeah, her. Um, However, I don't know. I, I think that I think that that's what they're called when they're not in wedlock. It's right. called a bastard. Yes. That's so um, sad. But yeah, the last name of Broder, which was, or I'm sorry, the last name of Falco, which was her previous husband. You ever watch Game of Thrones? Nope, I refuse. The infant boy was adopted by Pearl and Nathan Berkowitz of the Bronx. The Jewish-American couple were hardware store retailers of modest means and childless in middle age. They reversed the order of the boy's first and middle names and gave him their own surname, raising young David Richard Berkowitz as their only child. So he was Richard David, now he's David Richard. Wow, we'll never know the difference. Journalist... John Vincent Sanders wrote that Berkowitz's childhood was somewhat troubled. Although of above-average intelligence, he lost interest in learning at an early age and became infatuated with petty larceny and starting fires. Sounds like me. You were interested in starting fires? I started fires. I was a little bit of a pyro when I was younger. And it was pretty bad. I played with hairspray and matches and almost set my little sister on fire. (laughs) I wasn't that bad. We would just like bring gasoline or whatever and then pour it on something and then light it on fire. Everyone Nothing. wants to think that they can keep their kids safe, but man, you gotta keep <laughs> kids safe from themselves. Yes, honestly. And then I also, I, I stole stuff when I was younger. That was pretty bad. I was a bad kid. <laughs> Neighbors and relatives would recall Berkowitz as difficult, spoiled, and a bully. His adoptive parents consulted at least one psychotherapist due to his misconduct, but his misbehavior never resulted in a legal intervention or serious mention in his school records. Berkowitz's adoptive mother died of breast cancer when he was 14 years old, and his home life became strained during later years, particularly because he disliked his adoptive father's second wife. His family's a whole big mess. He lived with his father while attending Christopher Columbus High School, graduating in 1971, and college in a -a four-and-a-half-room apartment in Co-op City in the Bronx from 1967 to 1971. What's a -a four-and-a-half-room? It's half a room. What is that? A closet? Harry Potter's freaking closet under the stairs? Maybe it's like a bedroom with a bathroom is one room, so you've got four of those, and then you've just got an extra bedroom. I don't know. In 1971, at the age of 17, Berkowitz joined the United States Army and served in Fort Knox in the United States and with an infantry division in South Korea. 
After an honorable discharge in, in June 1974, he located his birth mother, Betty. After a few visits, she disclosed the details of his birth. The news greatly disturbed Berkowitz, and he was particularly distraught by the array of reluctant father figures. As I would be, honestly. Forensic- There's not enough options. <laughs> Forensic anthropologist Elliot Layton described Berkowitz's discovery of his adoption and birth details as the primary crisis of his life, a revelation that shattered his sense of identity. <coughs> I know, it's, it's tough. His communication so with his birth mother later lapsed, but for a time he remained in communication with his half-sister, Rosalind. He attended Bronx Community College for one year, enrolling in the spring of 1975. In 1976, he went to work as a driver for the Co-op City Taxi Company. He subsequently had several non-professional jobs, and at the time of his arrest, was working as a letter sorter for the United States Postal Service. What's a non-professional job? Um, How's the job not professional? Like, it's professional maybe like, a job. Maybe like my job, my first job, Portillo's. It's a professional job? I wouldn't so consider that. I don't know. Job's a job. A job's a job. You're right. But the word professional is subjective, for sure. I guess, but you're in a professional work environment. You have to behave a certain way to behave professionally. You know what kind of kinds of people they hired at Portillo's? I don't know. I don't work at Portillo's. Do you I know what things they were doing Portillo's? in the bathrooms? Do I look like you? What were they doing in the bathrooms? A lot of drugs. What, what kind of drugs? You think that's professional? What kind of drugs were they doing in the Portillo's bathroom? He had to be there. Oh, I don't know. Decades after his arrest, the name Son of Sam remains widely recognized as that of a notorious serial killer. Many manifestations in popular culture have helped perpetuate this notoriety, while Berkowitz himself uh, continues to express remorse on Christian websites. After rampant speculation about publishers offering Berkowitz large sums of money for his story, the New York state legislator swiftly passed a new law that prevented convicted criminals and their relatives from making any financial profit from books, movies, or other enterprises related to the stories of their crimes. That's crazy. The U.S. Supreme Court struck down the so-called Son of Sam Law for violating the First Amendment's right of free expression in the 1991 case of Simon & Schuster, versus Crime Victims Board. But New York produced a constitutionally revised version of the law in the following year. Similar laws have been uh, since enacted in 41 states and at the federal level. So, son of Sam, David Berkowitz, uh, he was the whole reason behind this this uh, son of Sam law, which means um, people who commit crimes cannot make money off of their stories, movies about them, documentaries about them, news reports about them. Uh, they're not able to make money off of that, and neither can their family, which uh, I agree with. You know, the whole publicity thing. They're a bad person. I don't think they should be well, able to make money off of that stuff. Most serial killers do it for glory. Yeah. So don't give them the glory. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, this was one of the. This was one of them. He, from what I was reading, he was very. Um, enthralled i guess maybe not the best word but he really loved the attention he was getting from news outlets and different media things he really liked the attention he liked the publicity uh and he i guess a benefit of it was that he was making money off of it and so was his uh his relatives so they enacted there they passed this son of sam law do you know if that law is enacted in illinois uh it's current I think it's a federal law. 
I'm, I believe. Well, you said 41 states. Yes. So. Uh, well, similar laws have been... You didn't know there's 50 of them. There are 50. Correct. I think the that means it was... Um, hold on. Yeah. Oh, no, no. The Supreme Court struck that down. Yeah. New York produced a constitutionally revised version of the law in the following year. Um, okay. No, I get what you're saying. Good question. I don't know. No idea. Why? You want to commit a crime and make money from it? Don't worry about it. That is my section. Oh. Short and sweet. You've got the bulk of uh, of this We're episode. We're doing a lot of talking. Let me wet my whistle. Yep. You're going to tell us all about um, how bad this guy was and the bad things that he did. I just gave you a nice setup. During the mid-1970s, Berkowitz started to commit violent crimes. He bungled the first attempt at murder using a knife, then switched to a handgun and began a lengthy crime spree throughout the New York boroughs of the Bronx, Queens, and Brooklyn. This is from the late 1970s, so like 1975, to early 1977. Yep. He sought young female victims. He was purportedly most attracted to white women with long, dark, wavy hair. I'm in the clear. And all but one of the crime sites involved two victims. He infamously committed some of his attacks while the women sat with boyfriends in parked cars. He exhibited an endearing enjoyment of his activities, often returning to the scenes of the crime. Mm-hmm. In 1975, of December, Berkowitz claimed that when he was 22 years old, he committed his first attack on Christmas Eve, when he used a hunting knife to stab two women in Co-op City. One alleged victim, a Hispanic woman, was never identified by police, but the other was 15-year-old Michelle Foreman, Mm. a sophomore at Truman High School, whom he attacked on a bridge near Dreiser Loop, and whose injuries were serious enough for her to be hospitalized for seven days. Berkowitz was not suspected of these crimes, and soon afterward, he relocated to an apartment in Yonkers, New York. How is that a title of, like, a city? Yeah, that's a place, Yonkers. Yonkers. There's a guitar center in Yonkers. Let's go that's, to Yonkers. That's the only reason I know that's an actual city, and it's no ridiculous. No offense to anyone who lives in Yonkers. <laughs> Just north of New York, uh, the New York City border, 20 to 25 minutes from Co-op City. Uh, the first shooting that he did, attributed to the son of Sam, uh, attributed to son of Sam, occurred in the Pelman Pelham Bay area of the Bronx at about 1:10 a.m. on July 29, 1976. Donna Loria, an emergency medical technician who was 18, and her friend Jody Valenti, 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 Valenti. Uh, oh, thank you. Yes, Valenti. I don't know. <laughs> My brain does not know how to pronounce things. <laughs> It's facade all over again. It's freaking fake age. A nurse who is 19 were sitting in Valente's double parked Oldsmobile, an Oldsmobile, discussing their evening at Peach Trees, a new Rochelle discotheque. Loria opened the car door to leave and noticed a man quickly approaching the car. Startled and angered by the man's sudden appearance, she said, Now what is this? What is this, Loria? Now what is this? Does she sound like that? I don't know why they're 18. Now, what is this? <laughs> they don't sound like a 65-year-old woman. The man, the man produced a pistol from the paper bag that he carried and crouched. Crouched. <laughs> I'm imagining like Call a, of Duty crouch. A base, yeah, evasive maneuver. <laughs> he braced one elbow on his knee, aimed his weapon with both hands, and fired. Loria was struck by one bullet that killed her instantly. Like... Valenti was shot in her thigh, Sorry. and a third bullet missed both women. Women. The shooter turned and walked away quickly. Mm. Valenti survived her injury and said that she did not recognize the killer. She described him as a white male in his 30s with a fair complexion, about 5 feet 8 inches tall and weighing about 200 pounds. His hair was short, dark, and curly in a mod style. 
This description was repeated by Lori's father, who claimed to have seen a similar man sitting in a yellow compact car parked nearby. Neighbors gave corroborating reports to police that an unfamiliar yellow compact car had been cruising the area for hours before the shooting. Years later, in 1993, Berkowitz admitted in an interview with journalist Maury Terry at the Sullivan Correctional Facility that he had shot Loria and Valenti. On October 29, 1976, a similar shirting, shooting, shirting, that's when you get a new shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to go for a shirting. Occurred, I just got a shirting. Yeah, you just got a shirting. Occurred in a secluded residential area of Flushing, Queens, next to Brown Park. Carl DeNaro, a Citibank security guard who was 20, and Rosemary Keenan, a Queens College student, 18, were sitting in Keenan's parked car when the windows suddenly shattered. This is quoted, I felt the car exploded, DeNaro said later. Keenan quickly started the car and sped away for help. The panicked couple did not realize that someone had been shooting at them, even though De Niro was bleeding from a bullet wound to his head. Keenan had only superficial injuries from the broken glass, but De Niro eventually needed a metal plate to replace a portion of his skull. Wow. Neither victim saw the attacker. Do you say neither or neither? Um, that's a good question. I'd have to just like say a sentence without thinking about it. Okay. Police determined that the bullets embedded in Keenan's car were forty-four caliber but they were so deformed that they thought it unlikely that they could ever be linked to a particular weapon. De Niro had shoulder-length hair, and police later speculated that the shooter had been spaking him for a woman. Keenan's father was a 20-year veteran police detective of the New York City Police Department, causing an intense investigation. As with the Loria Valentine, uh, Val- Valenti what is wrong with me? <coughs> shooting. However, there seemed to be there seemed not to be any motive for the shooting, and police made little progress with the case. Many of the details of the De Niro Keenan shooting were very similar to the Loria Valenti case, but police did not initially associate them, partly because the shootings occurred in different boroughs and were investigated by different local police precincts. Mm-hmm. This is November of 1976. High school student Donna DeMasi, who's 16, and Joanne Lomina, Lomino, a student at Martin Van Buren High School, who was 18, Walked home from a movie soon after midnight on November 27th, 1976. Which movie? Doesn't say. Fuck. Why don't you look up movies that came out November 27th, 1976. They were chatting on the porch of Lamino's home in Floral Park when a man dressed in military fatigues who seemed to be in his early 20s approached them and began to ask directions. In a high-pitched voice, he said, can you tell me how to get, but then quickly produced a revolver. Okay. Can you tell me how to get... That'll fool him. Revolver. <laughs> you fooled me. We thought you needed directions. <laughs> He shot each of the victims once, and as they fell to the ground injured, he fired several more times, striking the apartment building before running away. A neighbor heard the gunshots, rushed out of the apartment building, and saw a blonde man rushing by, gripping a pistol in his left hands. Hand. He doesn't have two left hands. Both of his left hands. <laughs> just hands sprouting <laughs> off of the ring. Damasi had been shot in the neck, but the wound was not life-threatening. Lamina was hit in the back and hospitalized in serious condition. She was ultimately rendered paraplegic. At about 12.40 a.m. on January 30th, 1977, Christine Freund, 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 I think it's Freund. Freund, F-R-E-U-N-D, Freund. It's German, Freund. Freund. It's friend. Means friend? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a cute last name. A secretary, 26, and her fiancé, John Deal, a bartender, 30, were sitting in Deal's car near the Forest Hills L-I-R-R station in Queens, preparing to drive to a dance hall after having seen the movie Rocky. 
Three gunshots penetrated the car. In a panic, Deal drove away for help. He suffered minor superficial injuries, but Freund... Did I say it right? Yeah, Freund. Yes. Was shot twice and died several hours later at the hospital. Neither victim had seen the attacker. Hmm. Police made the first public acknowledgement of that that Freund deal shooting was similar to earlier incidents and that the crimes might be associated. All the victims had been struck with 44 caliber bullets and the shooting seemed to target young women with long, dark hair. NYPD Sergeant Richard Conlon Conlon, stated that police were leaning towards a connection in all these cases. Composite sketches were released to the black hair of the black-haired Loria Valencia shooter and the blonde Lamino Damasi shooter, and Conlon noted that police were looking for multiple stu- suspects, not just one. Mm-hmm. At about 7.30 p.m. on March 8, 1977, Columbia University student Virginia A. Voskarentian... Voskarentians. You're nailing that one. It's just as good as me. She was 19. She seemed to be very interested in young, young people. Was walking home from school when she was confronted by an armed man. She lived about a block from where Christine Frund, Frund, Frund had been shot. Frund. No, Frund. In a desperate move to defend herself. Uh, what's her face? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Virginia, I'm just not going to say her last name, lifted her textbooks between herself and her killer, but the makeshift shield was penetrated, the bullet striking her head and killing her. My math book will save me. So sad. Algebra can't be used for anything. Yeah. In March 10th of 1977, press conference NYPD officials in a March 10th press conference <laughs> and New York City Mayor Abraham Beam declared that the same 44 Bulldog revolver had fired the shots that killed Loria and Virginia, because I don't know how to say her last name. Mm-hmm. Official documents were later revealed, however, saying that police strongly suspected that the same 44 Bulldog had been used in the shootings, but the evidence was actually inconclusive. The crimes were discussed by the local media virtually every day. Circulation increased dramatically for the New York Post and Daily News. Newspapers with graphic crime reporting and commentary. Foreign media featured many of the reports as well, including front-page articles of newspapers such as the Vatican's Los Vitor Romano. <laughs> you know what? Like, you could do better. I'm not even going to deal with you. At about 3 a.m. on April 9th, uh, 17th, what happened on April 19th, 1977, Alexander, a tow truck operator, because I can't say his last name either, 20, and Valentina Suriani, a layman college student and an inspiring actress and model, 18, were sitting in a car belonging to Alexander's brother on the Hutchinson River Parkway service road in the Bronx, about a block from the girl's home and only a few blocks away from the scene of Loria and the Loria and Valencia shooting. A resident of a nearby building heard four shots and called the police. Valentina, who was sitting on the driver's seat, was shot once, and Alexander twice, both in the head. Valentina died at the scene, and Alexander died in the hospital several hours later without being able to describe his attackers or attacker. Police said that the weapon used for the crime was the same as the one which they had suspected in the earlier shootings. On September 23, 1993, in an interview with journalist Maury Terry at the Sullivan Correctional Facility, Berkowitz admitted that it was him who committed the crime. Hmm. So he had, I don't know if you mentioned, I don't think you did. He had a tendency to send letters to no. the police force. Yeah, no, I didn't talk about it. I saw um, like a uh, an image of one, and I hoped you were going to talk about it. So 
he liked to send letters to the police force. So police discovered a handwritten letter near the bodies of Alexander and Valentina, written mostly in block capitals with a few lowercase letters and addressed to the NYPD captain, Joseph Borelli. With this letter, Berkowitz revealed the name Son of Sam for the first time. The uh, the The priest's. The press had previously dubbed the killer the 44 caliber killer because of his weapon of choice, to answer your question. I'll get into why he's called Son of Sam as mm-hmm. well. The letter was initially withheld from the public, but some of its contents were revealed to the press, and the name Son of Sam quickly replaced the old name. The letter expressed the killer's determination to continue his work and taunted police for their fruitless efforts to capture him. In full, with, in full, with misspellings intact, the letter read... I am deeply hurt by your calling me a woman hater. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained. Just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Ah, me, hoot, it hurts, sunny boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. Bad name. The chubby behemoth? (laughs) I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of Queens are Z, prettiest of all. He spelled women, W-E-M-O-N, women. The women. And literally it says R and then Z and then prettiest of all. R is the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life. Blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill anymore. No, sir, no more. But I must. Honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to Yahoo's. To the people of Queens, I love you. And I wa want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and then the next, and for now I say goodbye and good night. Please, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back, I'll be back, to be inter- interpreted as bang, 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 bank, bang, uh, yours in murder, Mr. Monster. Bang, 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 bank, bang, bang, bang uh, uh, uh bank. <laughs> At the time, police speculated that the letter writer must be familiar with Scottish English. The phrase, me hoot it hurts sunny boy, was taken as a Scottish accented version of my heart it hurts sunny boy. And the police also hypothesized that the shooter blamed a dark-haired nurse for his father's death due to the too many heart attacks phrase. Mm. And the facts that Loria was a medical technician and Valencia was studying to be a nurse. The killer's unusual attitude towards the police and the media received widespread scrutiny. Psychologists observed that many serial killers gain gratification. With gratification. Gratis, gratisfaction. 
by eluding pursuers and observers. The feeling of control of media, law enforcement, and even even entire populations provides a source of social power for them. After consulting with several psychologists, I'm sorry, psychiatrists, police released a psychological profile of their suspect on May 26, 1977. He was described as neurotic and probably suffering from paranoid schizophrenia and believed himself to be a victim of demon possession. Hmm. That was a long letter. I got more. On May 30th, 1977, Daily News columnist Jimmy Breslin received a handwritten letter from someone who claimed to be the 44 caliber shooter. The letter was postmarked early that same day in Inglewood, New Jersey, on the reverse of the envelope, neatly handprinted in four precisely centered lines, were the words blood and family, darkness and death, absolute depravity, 44. The letters inside read, I'm sorry, the letter. Hello from the gutters of New York City, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of NYC, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. JB, I'm just dropping you a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in those recent and horrendous 44 killings. I also want to tell you that I read your column, I read your column daily and I find it quite informative. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like, because I don't care for publicity. However, you must not forget Donna Loria, and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad, and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his blood, uh, his fill of blood. Mr. Breslin, sir, don't think that because you haven't heard from me for a while that I want to sleep. No, rather I am still here, like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest, anxious to please Sam. I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday, or perhaps I will be blown away by cops with smoking 38s. Whatever, if I shall be fortunate enough, I'm sorry, whatever, and then pause, if I shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you all about Sam if you like, and I will introduce you to him. His name is Sam the Terrible. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall for say, I shall, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say, you will see my handiwork at the next job. Remember Miss Loria, thank you. In their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation. 44 here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector for the use by NCIC, the Duke of Death, the Wicked King Wicker, the 22 Disciples of Hell, John Wheaties, rapist and suffocator of young girls. P.S. Please inform all the detectives working the slang to remain. P.S. J.B., please inform all the detectives working on the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging, drive on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working in the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. What a weirdo. Underneath the Son of Sam was a logo or sketch that combined several symbols. The writer's question, what will you have for July 29th, was considered an ominous threat. Uh, July 29th would be the anniversary of the first 44 caliber shooting. Breslin notified police, who thought that the letter was probably from someone with knowledge of the shootings. The Breslin letter was um, sophisticated in its wording and presentation, especially when compared to the crudely written first letter, and police suspected that it might have been created in an art studio. Studio or similar professional location by someone with expertise in printing, calligraphy, or graphic design. The unreasonable writing caused the police to speculate that the killer was a comic letter letterer. 
and that they and they asked staff members of DC Comics whether they recognized the lettering. The Wicked King Wicker reference caused police to arrange a private screening of The Wicker Man, a 1973 horror movie. Uh, Have you seen that movie? No, I've heard of it, though. I think I've watched it halfway through. Hmm. The New York Daily News published the letter a week later after agreeing with police to withhold portions of the text, and Breslin urged the killer to surrender himself. The dramatic article made that day's paper the highest-selling edition of the Daily News to date. More than 1.1 million copies were sold. The police received thousands of tips based on references in the publicized portion of the letter, all which proved useless. All the shooting victims to date had long, dark hair, and thousands of women in New York acquired shortcuts of brightly colored dyes, and beauty supplies stores had trouble meeting the demands for wigs. Holy cow. On June 26, 1977, there was another shooting. Sal Lupo, a mechanics helper, 20, and Judy Placido, a recent high school graduate, 17, had left the Elphis discotheque and Bayside, Queens, and were sitting in Lupo's parked car at about 3 a.m. when three gunshots blasted through the vehicle. Lupo was wounded in the right forearm, while Placido was shot in the right temple, shoulder, and back of the neck. But both victims survived their injuries. He's not a very good serial killer. Mm. Lupo told police the young couple had been discussing the Son of Sam case only moments before the shooting. Neither Lupo nor Placido Placido had seen their attacker, but two witnesses reported a tall, dark-haired man in a leisure suit fleeing from the area. One claimed to see him leave in a car and even supplied a partial license plate number. Thanks for the partial of a possible thing. That helped. I mean, hey. The first um, anniversary of the initial 44 caliber shootings was approaching, and police established a sizable dragnet that emphasized past hunting grounds in Queens and the Bronx. However, the next and final 44 shooting occurred in Brooklyn. Early on July 31st, 1977, Stacy Moskowitz, I wanted to say Mouskowitz, <laughs> there's no U. Mouskowitz would be like a little Russian mouse. Yeah. Hello, so. Mouskowitz. Mm hmm. A secretary and Robert Violante, Violante, Violante. Killing it with these names. (laughs) A clothing store salesman, both 20, were in Violante's car, which was parked under a streetlight near a city park in the neighborhood of Bath Beach on their first date. What a first date. They were kissing when a man approached within 90 centimeters, three feet, of the passenger side of... Of Robert's car and fired four rounds into the car, striking both victims in the head before he escaped into the park. A man named Tommy Zaino, Zaino, Drano, was a witness to the shooting. Robert lost his left eye, and Moskowitz, the only blonde victim of Berkowitz, died from her injuries. That night, Detective John um, Falotico, Falotico, Falotico. <laughs> was awakened at home and told to report to the 10th Homicide Division at the 60th Precinct Station House in Coney Island. He was given two weeks to work on the Mouse... Um, <laughs> Moskowitz? <laughs> on Moskowitz's case. Uh, the, the Moskowitz and Robert case is a normal murder investigation. If it could not be solved in that time frame, it was to be given to the Son of Sam Task Force. Oh, there's a whole task force now. Fancy. Local resident Casiela Davis was walking her dog at the scene of the Moskowitz and Violante Violante shooting when she saw patrol officer Michael Cantian Cantanio Michael was ticketing a car that was parked near a fire hydrant 
Moments after the traffic police had left, a young man walked past her from the area of the car and seemed traffic to study police. her with some interest. Davis felt concerned because he was wielding in his hand some kind of dark object. She ran to her home only to hear shots fired behind her in the streets. Davis remained silent about this experience for four days until she finally contact, uh, contacted police uh, who closely checked her every car that had been ticketed in the area that night. Berkowitz, um, 1974 door yellow Ford Galaxy was among the cars that they investigated. On August 9th, 1977, NYPD detectives, um, detective James Justice, I think that's his name, telephoned Yonkers police to ask them to schedule an interview with Berkowitz. The Yonkers police dispatcher who first took Justice's call was Wheat Carr, the daughter of Sam Carr and sister of Berkowitz's alleged cult confidence, um, confederates, John and Michael Carr. Wow. Justice asked the Yonkers police for some help tracking down Berkowitz. According to Mike um, Novotny, a sergeant at the Yonkers police department, the Yonkers police had their own suspicion about Berkowitz in connection with other strange crimes in Yonkers, crimes that they saw referred to in one of the that they saw referred to in one of the Son of Sam letters. Yonkers investigators even told New York City detectives that Berkowitz might be Son of Sam. The next day, August 10th, 1977, police investigated Berkowitz's car that was parked on the street outside his apartment building at 35 Pine Street in Yonkers. They saw a gun in the back seat, searched the car, and found a duffel bag filled with ammunition, maps of the crime scenes, and a threatening letter addressed to Inspector Timothy Dowd of the Omega Task Force. Omega Task Force. Police decided to wait for Berkowitz to leave the apartment rather than risk a violent encounter in the building's narrow hallway. They also wanted to obtain a search warrant for the apartment, mm -hmm. worried that their search might be challenged in court. The initial search of the vehicle was based on the handgun that was visible in the back seat, although possession of such a gun was legal in New York State and required no special permit. The warrant had still not arrived when Berkowitz ex uh, exited the apartment building at 10 p.m., excited the apartment, and <laughs> entered his car. Detective John fell... <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> wait to go to my car! <laughs> Uh, Detective John Falatico, that's what I'm going with. It's probably Falatico or something. Uh -huh. Approached the driver's side of the car. Uh, John pointed his gun close to Berkowitz's temple, while Detective Sergeant William Gardella pointed his gun from the passenger's side. A paper bag containing a 44 caliber bulldog revolver of the type that was identified in ballistic tests was found next to Berkowitz in the car. Berkowitz then stated flatly, Well, you got me. <laughs> As described in Son of Sam, 1981, by Lawrence D. Klausner, Detective Falatico <laughs> remembered the big, inexplicable, inexplicable smile on the man's face. So he he was smiling at the officers. Yes. Now that this is all quoted, now that I've got you, who uh, he said to the suspect, "This is De Detective Falatico. Mm -hmm. uh, who have I got?" You know, the man said, and what the detective remembered was a soft, almost sweet voice. No, I don't. You tell me. The man turned his head and said, I'm Sam. You're Sam. You're Sam. Sam who? Sam David Berkowitz. An alternate version claimed that Berkowitz's first words were reported to be, well, you got me. How come it took you such a long time? Detective John was officially credited by the NYPD as the arresting officer of the son of Sam. Police searched apartment 7E and found it in disarray with satanic graffiti on the walls. They also found diaries that had been kept since he was 21 years old. Three stenographers' notebooks, nearly all full, were in Berkowitz's meticulously noted hundreds of art. Wherein, 
<laughs> wherein Berkowitz meticulously noted hundreds of arsons that he claimed to have set throughout New York City. Some sources speculate that this number might be over 1,400. 1,400 arsons? That he might have committed. I don't know about that. Soon after Berkowitz's arrest, the address of the building was changed from 35 Pine Street to 42 Pine Street in, until, in an attempt to end its notoriety. Okay. After the arrest, Berkowitz was briefly held in the Yonkers police station before being transported directly to the 60th precinct in Coney Island, where the detective's task force was located. At about 1 a.m., Mayor Abraham Beam arrived to see the suspect personally. After a brief and wordless encounter, he announced to the media, the people of the city of New York can rest easy because of the fact that the police have captured a man who they believe to be the son of Sam. Mm -hmm. Berkowitz was interrogated for about 30 minutes in the early morning of August 11, 1977. He quickly confessed to the shootings and expressed an interest in pleading guilty. The investigation was led by John Keenan, who took the confession. During questioning, Berkowitz claimed that his neighbor's dog was one of the reasons that he killed stating that the dog demanded the blood of pretty young girls. Of course. That's he what said all, do that all dogs demand. The Sam mentioned in the first letter was his former neighbor Sam Carr. Berkowitz claimed that Harvey Carr's black Labrador retriever was possessed by an ancient demon and that it issued um, irresistible commands that Berkowitz, Berkowitz must kill people. So it's based off of his neighbor and his neighbor's dog. Okay. Makes sense. Sure. Understand. Uh, uh, a few weeks after his arrest and confession, Berkowitz was permitted to communicate with the press. In a letter to the New York Post dated September 19, 1977, Berkowitz alluded to his original story of demonic possession, but closed with a warning that has been interpreted by some investigators as an admission of criminal accomplices. There are other Sams out there. I'm sorry, other sons. God help the world. At a press conference in February of 1979, however, Berkowitz declared that his previous claims of demonic possession were a hoax. Mm -hmm. Berkowitz stated in a series of meetings with his special court-appointed psychiatrist, David Abrahamson, that, yeah, David Abrahamson. David Abrahamson. Yeah, that's his name. That he had long contemplated murder to get revenge on a world that he felt had rejected and hurt him. Isn't that always the answer? Mm -hmm. uh, so during his sentencing... Three separate mental health examinations determined that Berkowitz was competent to stand trial. Defi uh, despite this, defense lawyers advised Berkowitz to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Mm -hmm. But Berkowitz refused. He appeared calm in court on May 8, 1978, as he pleaded guilty to all of the shootings. <laughs> Casota, what are you mouth about? Give me attention. Come here. Guilty to all of the shootings. At his sentencing two weeks later, Berkowitz caused an uproar when he attempted to jump out of a window on the seventh floor courtroom. After he was restrained, he repeatedly chanted, Stacy was a whore, this was his last victim, mm. and shouted, I'd kill her again, I'd kill them all again. The court ordered another psychiatric examination before sentencing could, be, uh, could proceed. During the evaluation, Berkowitz drew a sketch of a jailed man surrounded by numerous walls. At the bottom, he wrote, I am not well, not well at all. Nonetheless, Berkowitz was again found uh, competent to stand trial. On June 12, 1978, Berkowitz was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison for each murder mm. to be served consecutively. He was ordered to serve time in Attica Correctional Facility and upstate New York Supermax Prison. 
Despite prosecutors' objections, the terms of Berkowitz's guilty plea made him eligible for uh, eligible for parole in 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, after his arrest, Berkowitz was initially confined to a psychiatric ward in Kings County Hospital, where the staff reported that he seemed remarkably uh, remarkably troubled by his new environment. On the day after his sentencing, he was taken first to Sing Sing Prison and then to the upstate Clinton Correctional Facility for psychiatric and physical examinations. Two more months were spent at the New York Central Psych- um, the Central New York, I read that backwards, psychiatric hospital in Marcy before his admission to Attica Prison. Berkowitz served about a decade in Attica until he was relocated in 1990 to Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, where he remained for many years until he was transferred to uh, Shawan Gunk Correctional Facility in Ulster County. Berkowitz described life in Attica as a nightmare. In 1979, there was an attempt on Berkowitz's life in which the left side of his neck was slashed from front to back, Mm. resulting in a wound that required more than 50 stitches to close. Berkowitz refused to identify his assailant, and he claimed only that he was grateful for the attack. It brought a sense of justice, or in Berkowitz's own words, the punishment I deserve. Hmm. Uh, To touch on what you were bringing up with Christianity, in 1987, Berkowitz became an uh, evangelical evangelical Christian in prison. Mm Mm-hmm. According to his personal testimony, his moment of conversion occurred after reading Psalm 34, 6 from a Bible given to him from a fellow inmate. He says he is no longer to be referred to as the son of Sam, but the son of hope. Aw, how nice. Aw, reform. (laughs) Soon after his imprisonment, Berkowitz invited uh, Malachi Martin, an exorcist, to help him compose an autobiography, but the offer was not accepted. During later years, Berkowitz developed his memoirs with assistance from other Christians. His statements were released as an interview video, Son of Hope, during 1998, with a more extensive work released in book form, entitled Son of Hope, The Prison Journals of David Berkowitz, in 2006. Berkowitz does not receive any royalties or profit from any sales of his works, like you were saying. He continues to write essays on faith and uh, repentance for Christian websites. Uh, a website is maintained on his behalf by a church group since he is not allowed access to a computer. Berkowitz stays involved with prison ministry and regularly counsels troubled inmates. While in the Sullivan facility, he pursued education and graduated with honors from Sullivan Community College. Hmm. So he has parole hearings. Hmm. Um, he's entitled to a parole hearing every two years as mandated by state law, though he has consistently refused to ask for his release, sometimes skipping the hearings altogether. Hmm. Before his first parole hearing in 2002, Berkowitz sent a letter to New York Governor George Pataki uh, demanding that it be canceled. He wrote, in all honesty, I believe that I deserve to be in prison for the rest of my life. I have, with God's help, long ago come to terms with my situation, and I have accepted my punishment. In his 2016 hearing in New York at Schwangunk, Berkowitz stated that while parole was unrealistic, he felt he had improved himself behind bars adding, I feel I am no risk whatsoever. His lawyer, Mark Heller, noted that prison staff considered Berkowitz to be a model prisoner. Mm. Commissioners denied a parole. In 2018, the board again denied the release of Berkowitz on parole. His next hearing was scheduled for May 2020, but the COVID-19 pandemic delayed his hearing until further notice. Okay. That was a lot of info. There's a lot to go over. That was the whole story. Of David Berkowitz. I sound like, uh, what's his name? And now, the rest of the story. I don't know what you're talking about. Paul Harvey. 
Good day. No idea. WGN Radio. I listened to that when I was little. Nostalgic. You would listen to the radio as a child. I, I didn't listen to it. My parents listened to it when they drove me. They had on WGN 720 listen to Paul Harvey. Give the rest of the story. Whatever you say. I should have been a radio broadcaster. Yeah, you should have. What did you think of the beer? It was like ice cream. It's like vanilla ice cream. <clears throat> Tasted like like milk and sugar and vanilla and some citrus. <laughs> like orange and pineapple. Uh, hardly any hops. At least what I was tasting. It I was, tasted a good amount of hops. It's pretty good. For it having three hops, I thought that it was... A whole three. <laughs> it was pretty foreign on the palate. Three hops. Seems like a good amount. You can make one beer with one hop. Your hop. Damn straight, and don't you forget it. Did you like it? Um, I mean, you gave it a five. I got bored of it kind of quickly. Okay. So, like, I don't know, I'm drinking it, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is weird. It's unique. It's, I probably it's wouldn't get a second one. Canny. Yeah. You know, it's like, whoa. I've never shake. had a beer like that before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could drink multiple of them. You know, it's very desserty, very sweet and rich. I feel like it could have been sweeter. I think milkshake, I think pure sugar. I mean, that was more pure sugar than whatever that uh, we had a bonus stout that you had. That was like. Oh, the s'mores one? Yeah. One of those was like super sweet and sugary. <laughs> Just very, very chocolatey. That was, I think this is sweeter than that was. I feel like the other one was sweeter. Yeah, I could take it or leave it. It was good. It was. I thought it was well made. I didn't think that anything really <laughs> outbalanced the other. Yeah, it's unique. I haven't had a beer like that before ever. So very cool pick. I'd like to try other milkshake IPAs. I'm surprised that was my first. I'm surprised it's taken me that long to try one, uh, even like out at a bar or something like that. I've seen and heard about them before, but I've never had one. And uh, I like them. I'll have them again, just like cream ales. Yeah. Really, really tasty. Definitely my go-to. You're tasty. I know. <laughs> Beerandfearcast.com is our website where you can listen to all of our episodes every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central Time. Just click on the episode number and you can listen to it right there. Hit the play button. Uh, we're also available on every single popular podcast platform. A uh, cool thing about those episode pages, all the media, pictures and videos, things we bring up on the episodes will be available right there as well. Um, and then you can read the description on how you can watch our videos uh, live. If you want to watch us record our episodes live or watch older videos of our episodes, it's all in the description. And then uh, links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, and TikTok where you can follow us and stay up to date with our new episodes and social, random social updates. Like uh, when we post when we're on t uh, Twitch. Do you want to play a game tonight? Yeah, definitely. It's getting a little late, but I think I can stay up for a little bit more. You got this. Oh, yeah. We got to figure out what we're playing. Uh, so we'll be on, on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Beer and Fear Cast. Check us out. Watch us play video games and fail at them. Watch my computer crash, because it will happen a lot. Yeah. This was a cool episode. Um, a lot of information. I like uh, serial killer episodes. We'll do them. We'll do them more. We'll do them here and there. Sprinkle them in. And uh, very cool beer. 
So thanks for the pick. It's delicious. Thanks, Maplewood. Have a good day. Have a good day. I don't sound like that. You sound just like that. I have a deep voice.